So welcome everyone to Drisha's Fall Programming and the first part of a six-part series by Dr. Shanna Strauch-Schick on the laws of Kashrut and Jewish-Gentile relations. Dr. Shanna Strauch-Schick is a fellow of the Center for Israel Studies at Yeshiva University and teaches Talmud and Halakha at Michalat Mevaser Yerushalayim and Matan in Israel and in the Drisha Summer Kollel. In 2011, she became the first woman to be awarded a PhD in Talmudic literature from the Bernard Revel Graduate School at Yeshiva University, where she also completed an MA in Bible. She studied in the graduate program in Advanced Talmud at Stern College and has held postdoctoral fellowships at Bar Ilan and Haifa University. Her upcoming book, Between Thought and Deed, Intention in Talmudic Jurisprudence <laughs> examines the role of intentionality in the development of Talmudic law and is being published by Brill. Without further ado, Dr. Strachik. Thank you so much, Leah. And um, welcome everyone to uh, our six part uh, course on the laws of Akashrut. Um, the laws that we're gonna be uh, focusing on are as the uh, title of this course suggests, those which uh, have to uh, do with the Jewish or Gentile relations, meaning it's not about uh, food that is not a kosher per uh, se, for example, eating meat and milk together or uh, pork or anything like that. It's more food that was prohibited because um, it was a way to either uh, make some sort of a barrier between Jews and Gentiles to prevent intermarriage, as we're going to see, or maybe you know less and you know less the food. Um, become not kosher because it was prepared by a non-Jew. Um, so we're going to see um, all these different uh, factors at play and how the fact that Jews live in a world with non-Jews and often uh, did not own their own ovens to bake uh, bread or, as you see in the U.S., um, live in a country where the uh, dairy industry is very regulated and therefore there's no concern that uh, you know, we're getting the milk from a pig where it's supposed to be a cow's milk, how, how the cultures we've lived in have uh, affected these halachot, these laws as well. So our starting point for um, this set of halachot is a Mishnah in tractate about Sarah, a tractate about well, idol worship and all the different laws about idolatry, um, different uh, takanot uh, in, in, in enactments that were made to uh, help dissuade uh, uh, idolatry and the Jewish Gentile relationships. And that's why these a set of laws pertaining to Akashrut are in this tractate. Now, just um, a little introduction to the course. This is, you know, while we are going to talk about historical Akana uh, text and a uh, social Akana uh, text, it is going to be pri primarily a text-based uh, class where we learn halakha be'iyun. You know, we're going to learn the texts and we're going to, you know, read them in a side, um, some uh, complicated Talmudic uh, text along with the medieval Riyashonim, the medieval rabbis who explain the Talmudic uh, text. Um, and so, you know, we're not going to zoom uh, past through everything. We're going to have to really learn it and understand the, the text, some of them which are, can be very complicated. Um, and this is not going to be, therefore, you know, a survey of all the laws pertaining to Akashrut. But what we will get are some of the major principles. Um, and in this case, we're going to see both, you know, what is the reason for the laws and what are some of the leniencies which were applied um, in order to, you know, work with the cultures that uh, Jews were living in throughout a time where sometimes it was just impossible to, um, to uh, follow some of these laws and how we're able to work both with the halakha and with the world that we have lived in throughout our time. So um, that uh, introduction, we're now going to get uh, to it. And now, as the questions uh, come up, we'll address them. And anyone's always welcome to either post a question on the chat or, um, well, I don't know how else you can actually post a question after live uh, stream. Maybe email someone and they can ask on the chat. Okay, so we begin with the first Mishnah that I brought for you in the uh, sources. Um, I hope everyone has it. 
Um, and this is a Mishnah which uh, is in a tractate Avodah Zarah. Um, I will share it on the screen. It's on. Yeah, my PowerPoint here. It's written Abishal Akum. The first uh, topic we're going to cover is uh, food which has been uh, cooked by a non Jew. Okay, and the, the source for this all is the Mishnah in Avodah Zarah, tractate Avodah Zarah, the second uh, chapter six Mishnah therein. So you all have this uh, source now. Um, and the Mishnah lists eight uh, things which are which were made prohibited by the rabbis. And again, they are not prohibited in and of them uh, uh, themselves. They're not actually a trafe, they're not meat and milk, but they're things which the rabbis made prohibited. So this is what the Mishnah says. Ve'ilu divarim kochavim asurim isuran isor So the following articles, I gave you the English to this, the following articles of non-Jews are prohibited but you're, you can still uh, derive a benefit uh, from them. So, you know, you can use it, you know, for other um, uh, things, you just can't eat them. So the first thing on the list is, one, So milk, which a non-Jew milk, and a Jew uh, didn't uh, see it. So this is, this is the source for the law known as of halav uh, Yisrael, milk that was uh, produced by a Jew. Now, of course, we know in America, at least there's a very uh, famous uh, header that we rely on by Rav Moshe Feinstein, which we will uh, get to in a few weeks, Ezrat Hashem. But milk of a non-Jew, which a Jew uh, didn't see, you're not allowed to have, you're not allowed to eat. And why? Because presumably you don't know what animal it came from, if it's from a kosher animal or a non-kosher animal. That's number one. Number two, the hapat v'hashemen shalahem. You cannot, you cannot have the bread or the oil of a non-Jew either. Rebbe Ubeitino Hitiru Hashemin. Now, Rebbe, that's Rebbe Huda Hanasi, Rebbe Huda, the prince, who's the editor of the Mishnah, he and his court um, allowed oil. Now, we're going to get to a bread of a non Jew. And as maybe many people know, we uh, do eat the bread of a non Jew. We do eat uh, pot aku, which is why we're allowed to buy all the non Jewish brands of a bread. You know, we're not limited to uh, Grin Brown's chalot, for example. Okay, so that's number two. Uh, three, this is really two things. Now, even though usually that means uh, pickled food, this is understood. If you just look at Rashi, shilakot, go down to the next uh, sources. Shilakot refers to any food which a non-Jew uh, cooked. The afilu and it's not about maybe, you know, where we are, we are worried that the non-Jew cooked the food in their pots and their pots always have non-kosher food in them. Says Rashi, this is not because we are concerned that the food was made in a non-Jewish pot because it's even if they cook the food in your kosher pot. Um, and says Rashi, why? Why are these things prohibited? Says Rashi, mishum This is all due to marriage, meaning intermarriage. These things are pro are prohibited because they may lead to a Jews marrying non-Jews. Um, now let's just finish up this list, and we'll get back uh, to this because this is our a topic today, Shalakot. And uh, kivashin are uh, kivashin are uh, pickles things which you put wine and uh, and vinegar into. Tarit uh, trufa. Ah, these were. This is where the list starts to get into like uh, terrain of foods we're not so familiar with. But this is a, a pickled herring, which oh sorry sorry that's number three. This is a pickled uh, sorry pickled thing. So uh, tarit uh, trufa number four a pickled herrings which had been minced. Five, sirsh aimbo, daga, kelbit, shotetet bo, brine in which there's no kalbit fish floating, hachilek, I mean, chalek. As you see, Faria doesn't seem to really know what that is either, chalek. Seven, a korit shell cheltit, pieces of asophodida. So that one I looked up because I had absolutely no idea what that is. That's some sort of a spice. It's a according to a website I looked this out on. It's a hard substance that's um, extracted from a large carrot-shaped roots, 
roots which were used both for food and medicinal purposes. It's actually like found a lot in the Gemara. Um, Shabbat, or talks about foods which are also used for medicinal reasons. And Melach, um, yeah, so it's number eight, Melach Shalkondit, it's kind of a salt. So anyways, these numbers uh, four through eight, we're not gonna be uh, focusing on. Um, but says the Mishnah, Hari Elu Isurin, Bein Isuran Isur Hana. So all this list of eight uh, products these are prohibited to eat, but you are allowed to derive a benefit uh, from them. You're just not allowed to eat them, okay? So um, I just want to, I didn't bring for you inside um, in the sources I gave you, but in the Rambam's Aperish uh, La Mishnayot, the Rambam's explanation of the Mishnah, um, he just gives kind of a nice introduction to this, to this list of prohibited foods listed in this Mishnah and uh, just gives an overview of why they are prohibited. So the Rambam here writes, I'm reading from the PowerPoint, Rov elu hadivarim, most of the things on this list, says the Rambam, kigon hapat, like bread, the hashlakot, and the cooked foods, meaning the prohibition of abishal akum, um, the food cooked by a non-Jew, vidomehem, and those things like them, amnam nesru mehem. The reasons these things are prohibited is, is to make a barrier between Jew and non-Jew. Below nit arev imahem, so we don't come to mingle with them. Kedei shalom nimshach v'hit arvenu imahem, v'hit pakrut b'masha asor. Because if we, you know, intermingle too much, if you uh, assimilate, then you come to also do some pro, some pro, some prohibited things as well. So it's not because eating these foods are prohibited in their own right. It's that it may lead you to intermingle too much with non-Jews, and then you will come to marry and do usher pro, uh, you know, real usher, real prohibited uh, things. And that's what we mean when we say lest it lead to intermarriage. Um, now, these eight things which were prohibited in this Mishnah is part of a larger list of 18 uh, things which were um, decreed against, which are listed actually in the Sechet uh, Shabbat, the first haparic of the Sechet uh, Shabbat. It, lists, it says that there were 18 uh, things which Beit Hillel and Beit Shammai made pro made prohibited, and these are among those things which were listed there. And Rambam also makes a clear, and when we see, and when this Mishnah, when we see that it pro, prohibits their uh, cooked uh, food, as Rashi says, it's not due to the fact that there's a concern that, it, that they were uh, cooked in the pot of a non-Jew, because obviously that would be prohibited. If you cook food in a pot of a non-Jew, that is just not a kosher. That's a tray food because the taste of the, of the tray food has been absorbed in the pots, which then goes into the food. So that is just us. So that's non a kosher food. Um, but says the Rambam, Elan Esru Mishum Davar. These things are just pro, prohibited because it's made by a non-Jew. And again, the rabbis prohibited these foods in order to keep us away from non-Jews and to create like a social barrier. Um, anything that a non-Jew cooks. So it's not because, says Rambam, we think maybe there's some, you know, a pork mixed into it or because we're, con we're, con uh, we're concerned that maybe they uh, cooked it in a pot that had meat and milk uh, cooked in it. And that's going to, you know, then be transfused into our uh, food. It's even if they cook the food in a Jew's pot, there's no concern that there's anything non-kosher mixed in. There's a concern that eating together, eating their uh, food, will lead to uh, too much mingling between new and non-Jew, which will ultimately lead to intermarriage in a broader uh, sense, says the Rambam. And this we saw in the Rashi as well. In, in the second uh, source, 
on the page, Rashi writes again, even if the food was prepared in a kosher or a pot, these things are prohibited because of intermarriage. It's a social uh, policy. And, you know, that may think, well, that's weird. How do you go from the making food to, you know, intermarriage? So kind of, um, I think if you grow up or spend most of your life eating uh, kosher, it's hard to really appreciate the barriers that eating kosher really makes for a observant Jew within larger society. And I really uh, felt that in two uh, ways. One is when I moved to Israel and uh, suddenly I realized, oh, you know, there's like restaurants in malls. There's a whole food uh, uh, court. Now, living in the U.S., I never even paid attention to the food court. So it was so not a, a part of my life and my reality. Then I moved to Israel, and it's like, wow, you can eat in the mall. You can in the airport. You can just eat anywhere. And it's not like a, a barrier between you and just kind of regular society. And another way I felt this was one of my children was diagnosed with uh, celiac. And you really see that when you can't eat with everyone else, it creates kind of a social uh, a barrier. You can't just, you know, go to a party or bar bat mitzvah or a wedding, and just sit at the table and get the food with everyone else. It's where you have to like, wait, is there going to be food there? Can I eat? I can't eat with everyone else because they're, you know, breads may fall into my food. So not being able to eat the food of other people does create this kind of automatic social barrier. And, um, and it's not that I think if I eat, you know, a fish cooked by uh, Anjou, I'm only, you know, I'm going to intermarry. It just kind of builds a larger a culture of separation. Um, and it's just a larger social a policy. So that's the view of Rashi and Ram Abam. Um, however, if we look in the next uh, source, we see that there may be underlying here, also a concern of non-kosher food as well. So, um, stop sharing the screen for a moment. And okay, so um, in the next source you have, we'll now look at the Bavli's discussion of Shilakot, of Abishal Akum. And just for those, it's not clear, Akum, uh, stands for Oved Kochavim, a person who worships uh, stars, meaning it's a, a term for a non-Jew. So the acronym is Akum. So Abishal Akum is the food cooked by a non-Jew. So Habavli's discussion um, on uh, this line in the Mishnah is the third uh, source you have on the first uh, page, or the second to last uh, source on page one. So the Mishnah had said, So food cooked by a non-Jew, that's one of the things which are prohibited. So ask the Bavli here, How do we know this? How does the Mishnah know that, uh, or from where do we know that you're not allowed to eat the food cooked by a non-Jew. Where did the, how did the Mishnah know that it's prohibited? So answers the Gemara, Amar Rabbi Chia Bar Abba Amar Rabbi Yochanan. So Rabbi Chia said in the name of Rabbi Yochanan, Amar Akra, so there's a Pasuk in the Torah which uh, says, Ochel bekesef tishbereni ve'achalti umayim bekesef titenli so I will buy water from you and I will uh, drink. Um, so what does this refer to? So this is in Sefer de Parim, Maparshat de Parim, where Moshe is recounting how they uh, conquered Sihon uh, and his land. And before they uh, battled with, uh, with uh, King Sihon, uh, Melech Cheshbon, they tried to make a peace with them and say, hey, you know, can we please walk through your land? Because we're on, we're on our way to Eretz Canaan. We're on our way to land of, of Canaan. 
and we'll walk through your land, Moshe says. We won't you know, go left or right. We're gonna stay on the path. We'll even uh, pay you for your water. So we will, we will pay you so we can uh, drink from your water. Just let us walk through your land. So says the Babli here, says Rabbi Yohanan, well, what do we see from here? Um, that Moshe was willing to buy water from a non-Israelite. So what do we see from here? Says the Gemara here, Kemayim. It has to be like water. What that shows is that what are you allowed to eat from a non-Jew? Only a, a food like water. Only uh, something which like water wouldn't uh, change. Okay, but then it says, wait a minute. Well, if it's only about a uh, change, you also should not be allowed to have kind of wheat. And then it goes through all these uh, things and, you know, and why this isn't a good way to understand the a paradigm of water. So go down to the second to last line and it goes back and forth. Like, what is it about water that makes it allowed? So the last wide line here. So finally, the Gemara says, Ella, Ka maim. So what is it like water? Why was water allowed? Or, so just like water, if you heat it, it's not going to uh, change what it is. Yeah, maybe it'll uh, boil, but it still uh, remains the same uh, thing that it was before you heated it. It's still water. Maybe it's hot water. It's a uh, boiling water. Maybe we know on a chemical level it's... Uh, uh, it does uh, change, but it still remains water even after heating it. So uh, two, you're only allowed to have a uh, food which wouldn't alter its uh, form through heat. Okay, so we see from here that you are only allowed to eat that which Moshe was willing to buy from a non-Jew. And what's that? A food whose a form is not uh, changed when it is uh, cooked through heat. So then it says, wait a minute, midday or ketiv? Did it mention anything about heat in this uh, pasuk? Where do you get heat uh, from? So answers the Gemara, Ella midarabanan. Really? This whole prohibition against eating food cooked of a non-Jew, meaning food which does get altered by heat, is not really from the Torah. It is a, it's a rabbinic prohibition. So what about the Pasuk it just brought? Kra asmachta ba'alma. The Pasuk, the verse it brought from the Debarim, ochal ba'kesev tishubirini, that's just an as, uh, asmachta, and asmachta is when you have a rabbinic halacha, a rabbinic law, and then you like uh, tag it onto a biblical uh, verse as a way to kind of recall uh, it. But it's not really from the Torah. This is not a biblical prohibition. It's really a, uh, a rabbinic one, and they found a, a, a pasuk to like uh, tag it onto as a way to remember it but it's really rabbinic in its origins. So just like food, I mean, just like water, which does not change from its natural uh, form, even when it undergoes, you know, heating a process. So too, you can have a food that um, wouldn't change from its natural uh, form, okay? Now, this uh, Gemara says, again, that this is a rabbinic prohibition. Now, on the Mishnah, Rashi and the Ram Abam both uh, said that the root for this prohibition was a way to uh, prevent intermarriage. Here, however, Rashi's interpretation of this line, he gives a slightly a different answer. Here, Rashi explains in the next a source, last source on page one, where it says it's midirabanan, that this is a rabbinic prohibition, Rashi explains, shalo yehei Yisrael ragil etzlo b'machal u'b'mishtet. The reason for this rabbinic prohibition is, is so that a Jew will not come to 
accustom themselves to eat and drink with a non-Jew. And why is that a problem? Not lest you come to intermarry and, you know, and then violate halacha on a broader level, but Rashir says, davar Here the concern is you might come to eat non-kosher food. So here Rashi is saying it's not because there's a broader concern of inter, intermarriage and kind of you know mass uh, halachic uh, lack is hitty. Rather, it's we're concerned you might eat non-kosher food if you eat if you eat food prepared by a non-Jew. You might come to eat other food of a non-Jew, either even foods which are not uh, kosher. Um, so we see that uh, Rashi offers us two uh, different reasons for this prohibition. On one hand, Rashi said there's a social a policy at a play. Not eating um, the food cooked by a non-Jew is due to a fear that it will lead to intermarriage. But in this Rashi, on the, on the Talmudic discussion of the Mishnah, it's a kashru reason. You may come to eat non-kosher food. Now you could read these kind of two together. You know, why is there a fear of inter, intermarriage? Because you may come to eat non-kosher food. But that seems kind of a stretch to read it that way. And in, and in Adid, Rashi's grandsons in the Tosafot point out this contradiction in Rashi, that, that, that he gives two different reasons for the prohibition of a Bishal Hakum. One, again, a social policy, a fear of lead to intermarriage. And on the other hand, it's a kosher reason that you may eat non-kosher food. Um, so what do we do with these two different expla explanations that Rashi uh, gives? So um, many of uh, the rabbis who live after Rashi, and in particular were known as Haronim, uh, the rabbis who lived kind of in the modern era after the medieval times, discuss, well, what is the practical uh, difference or what we call in Talmudic parlance, the the Afghan, you know, you know, what's the practical difference that uh, comes out of Rashi's two reasons as to whether the reason it's the that Abishalakum is prohibited due to a, a fear of intermarriage or due to the fact that the food um, might be un, uh, kosher. Um, so um, a few different reasons have been, uh, or a few different uh, practical uh, differences have been uh, pointed out. So let's look in one, um, in the next uh, source you have, the top of page two, a work to Ferret Le Moshe. This is um, work on the uh, tour. It follows the Shulchan Aruch and the tour. So he writes, um, so he writes, Ayim Beit Yosef, Tamim Ali Sor Goyim. So they're seeing the Beit Yosef, that's the, that's Rev Yosef Akairo, he's the author of the Shulchan Aruch, and that's his uh, commentary on the uh, tour. So he lists the two uh, different reasons of Rashi for the prohibition of eating food cooked by Ananju. So So some say, in Rashi, that the reason is it's a fear you'll eat non-kosher food. And some say, again, also Rashi, that the fear is it'll lead to intermarriage. So now he's going to give, so who cares? What's the a difference be, between these two reasons? Either way, you're not allowed to eat non-kosher food. So what's the a difference? So he says, The a difference is, what about food cooked by a Jew who doesn't keep uh, kosher. A Jew who is a mumar to avodah zara. A Jew is a rebellious Jew who uh, doesn't keep halacha. Are you allowed to eat the food cooked by such a Jew, a non-religious Jew? So laman damar mishum chat share. So if the reason is you can't eat food cooked by non-Jew because it'll lead to intermarriage, then food cooked by a Jew is not religious should be what? Okay. You're allowed to marry a non-religious uh, Jew. There's no problem with that. So if the fear is intermarriage, and you, of course, should be allowed to eat the food prepared 
by a non-religious a Jew because there's no fear of intermarriage because there there is no inter intermarriage between different a Jews who are allowed to marry any a Jew. But but if the reason we don't eat a bishal akum, if the reason we don't eat food cooked by a non-Jew is because you may come to eat non-kosher food, then Maybe you're not allowed to eat the food cooked by a non-observant Jew. Aser, it should be prohibited. So that's what the Teferat Lemosha points out, that based on these two reasons given by Rashi, it is either okay or not okay to eat the food prepared by a non-observant Jew. By non-religious, I mean non-observant, a Jew who doesn't keep halakha. Um, so if, again, the reason is intermarriage, inter then it's okay. But if the reason is you might come to eat non-kosher food, then it would not be okay. Just so you know, Reb Ovadja Yosef, in his uh, halachic uh, tshuvot response to Yabiyah Omer, he says it is okay because he says, what about a, hot, a, hot, a, hot, a hotel or a restaurant owned by a non-religious a Jew, he says, you know, it is okay, you can eat the food. He's like, you know, because these are only rabbinic in their origin, you can be, you can rely on the lenient opinions that maybe it's okay. I mean, maybe it would be a better to have a religious a Jew there, a turn on the oven, and we're gonna get to all that. But he does rule that it's okay. Um, there is no abishal akum when it comes to Jews who uh, do not observe a kashrut or halakha. Okay, so that's the first uh, difference that arises between the two different answers of Rashi. That's one. Another uh, difference which arises, it's, it's a much more lum, lum adus, which we'd call like a conceptual answer. A conceptual difference is, um, what if a non-Jew did cook food in your a pot? Meaning a, a non-Jew uh, produced a bishal hakum. Food you're not allowed to cook, and it was made in your a pot. What is the status of your hapat? Does a bishal akum uh, trafe up your hapat the same way that if you were to cook, you know, milk in your meat a pot? Does the fact that it's not allowed to eat, is, does the fact that you're not allowed to eat but a bishal akum make the food uh, trafe? Or is it just the food isn't uh, trafe, you're not allowed to eat it? But it's not a treif uh, food. It will, so therefore, your pot will remain kosher, even if, even though you're not allowed to eat that food that a non-Jew cooked in your pot. So, of course, there's never one answer to this. Um, or anything. There's a machloket. There's a dispute amongst the Rishonim, the medieval rabbis, on this point. So look in the next uh, source, the third source on page two, the Torah brings down this dispute about the status of the pot in which a bishal akum was uh, produced. So the Torah writes, the katav harashba, so Reb Shlomo ben Deret, the Rashba, he's a medieval uh, rabbi, he writes, v'chein kelim shebishlu bahem oved agililim, you know, the pots in which a non-Jew cooked uh, food, even if it's your a pot, it was a kosher pot. If a non-Jew uh, cooked in your pot, devarim sheyesh mehem mishum meaning they they uh, cook food in which a bishul akum would apply to asurim. Your pot becomes prohibited. They've uh, trafed up your a pot essentially. Therefore, he writes, So here we get a little bit of a feel of what life was like. Therefore, he says, when you have your non-Jewish maids in your homes and they cook food, make sure they don't cook it in your uh, pots if, if they're making food for them uh, helps. Make sure they don't leave it on the fire. And if you see there a cooking, you see your non-Jewish maid a cooking on the fire, make sure to take it off the, the, the fire or uh, flip it over. And we're going to learn about this before it's fully uh, cooked. So that is a view of the Rash Abba. That 
a bishul akum would affect the kashrut of your uh, pot. That's the view of the Rashba. So if a non-Jew cooked food in your uh, pot, even though the food was a technically uh, a kosher uh, food, a bishul akum makes it a uh, treif, and now your pot is no longer a kosher, and you have to uh, kosher it if it was a metal pot. That's the view of the Rashba. But, says the Torah, but my uh, uh, father, the Rush, that's the uh, famous Rabbeinu Asher, he's the last of the Tosafist, and he's the father of the Torah. He says, says the Torah, the Rush did not agree with the Rashba. And the Rush writes, You don't have to worry about this at all. Yes, we're not allowed to eat bishul akum. We're not allowed to eat the food cooked by a non-Jew, but we're not. But we, but we then don't prohibit what gets absorbed by it into the uh, a pot it was uh, uh, cooked in. You're not allowed to eat it, but it uh, does not affect the status of the a pot that it was uh, cooked in. And the gra, well, I'll get to that in a second. So the Shulchan Arach brings down both these opinions. And he writes, So the pot in which, if, if a bishul akum was done in your a pot, any kind of a food with a bishul akum would apply, you have to akasher the pot. So that's the rashba. But some say, we know that's the rush, some say that you would not have to akasher the pot. Um, so um, what's the reason for this machloket, this dispute? And again, I'm trying to get to what would be the a difference between Rashi's two uh, reasons for the prohibition of abishalakum. So says the gra, the gra, of course, the Vilna, Gaon, and he wrote very uh, terse little uh, comments, um, which were recorded by his students. Uh, 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 and he writes here, why does the rush say you don't have to akasher the pot? The gra explains, says the gra, if the reason is chatnut, uh, if the reason is a fear of intermarriage, so that wouldn't apply to your uh, pots. It's just a concern that would lead to from you eating the food prepared by a non-Jew. But we don't have to extend that concern to your uh, pot once the non-Jew you know, isn't there anymore and you know, just whether you're allowed to use the pot or not. So this gets to another a difference between Rashi's two uh, reasons for um, the prohibition of abishal akum. Just want to uh, share my uh, screen. That if the reason is lest they come to give you non-kosher food, then like the Rashba, maybe, you know, we're concerned there's non-kosher food in your pot. And therefore you can't use your pot anymore unless you uh, kosher it. Your pot now became uh, treif. That would be the Rashba, the akasher reason. But if the reason is a social a policy, eating their food might lead you to mingle more and ultimately intermarry by eating uh, together, leading to just much more uh, social interaction, then that has nothing to do with your a pot. And that would not affect the status of the pot that it was uh, cooked in. So we have the difference between Rashi's two answers for the for the teferet lemoshe, it's a, can you eat the food of a non-observant Jew? If the reason is inter, is if the reason is a fear of intermarriage, then you can eat the food of a non-observant Jew. Um, if the food is, if the reason is you may come to eat non-kosher food, then that could uh, theoretically apply to a non-observant Jew as well. And in terms of the status of the pot in which a bishul akum was made. Again, if the reason is you, um, they might come to feed you non-kosher food, then that could affect the pot and you then could not use this pot anymore unless it underwent a process of uh, koshering. But if the reason is a social a policy, so says the Gra, the Vilna Gaon, 
There's no reason then to prohibit your uh, pot. Your pot remains fine. And that fear of, you know, you might come to marry a non-Jew would not then make the food uh, trafe to then, you know, be absorbed into the walls of your pot, which you then couldn't use it for any other reason. So we see that these two reasons of Rashi, you know, not just, it's not just a uh, intellectual exercise and uh, different reasons for a Bishalakum, but it also can have very real, uh, practical halachic ramifications as well. Okay. So that's the first uh, part of this. We've now, so we've done what is the reason for the prohibition against eating food cooked by a non-Jew. So we're now going to move on to um, what is the scope uh, of Abishal Akum. Um, you know, there are some people who eat at a vegan restaurant, for example, not owned by a Jew or an you know, Indian restaurant. I remember when I lived in New York, like, years ago, that was a big uh, thing to eat in Indian restaurants, um, something like that, vegan or whatever. So does Abishal Akum apply to all uh, foods that are prepared by a non-Jew, all, uh, all foods that are cooked by a non-Jew? So we'll see in the next uh, text, that's not the case. So in the uh, sources, I will share the screen. I will share so you, everyone can have access to the uh, text in case you don't have it. So we're up to number of two on page two. The Eze Ochlin Shaykh Isor Bishule Nachrim. Which of which uh, foods does the prohibition of Abishal Akum apply to? Because we're going to see now that it uh, uh, does not apply to all uh, foods. There actually is there's a, only a certain foods it applies to. Okay. So the scope of this prohibition is found on, let's see, the, the prohibition was found in Daf Lamed Azayin to Lamed Chet, Amid Aleph. So now this is uh, on the same Adaf, Lamed Chet, Amid Aleph. And again, we're still in a tractate of Oda because it's all about foods which are prohibited because of Jewish Gentile relations. Okay, so we're moving on to the next uh, source, which now talks about the scope of this prohibition, okay. So says the Gemara, Amar, Amar Reb Shmuel Bar Yitzchak Amar Rav. So Reb Shmuel Bar Yitzchak said the name of Rav, and Rav is the famous first generation of Babylonian Amora, Rabbi of the Babli. Kol Hanechal Kemot Shehu Chai, Ein Bo Mishum Bishule of De Kochavim. Any food which can be eaten raw, not uh, cooked, bishul akum does not apply. Meaning even if a non-Jew were to uh, cook it, if it's a food that you uh, could eat non-cooked, uh, uh, you can eat it raw, then a bishul akum would not apply. There's no prohibition from eating it if a non-Jew were to uh, cook the food. Bishura matnu hachi. This is the tradition that they taught in the Babylonian city of Zhura. Uh, but in the other uh, Babylonian city of Pumpadisa, they've taught the, tra the, tra the, tra the same tra tradition in the following manner. Amar Bishmuel Bar Yitzchak, Amar Rav, that Bishmuel Bar Yitzchak said the name of Rav, so now it is any food which would not be served on the table of a king to um sort to like uh, to eat with their uh, bread has no prohibition of abishal akum. Okay. Um, so let me just, I want to share, just make it clear, a chart of these two different answers. So the prohibition of Abishal Akum does not apply to either. There's two different tra uh, traditions of what Abishal Akum does not apply to. Either anything that you can eat raw, so that would be basically any vegetable. So even if a non-Jew cooked a vegetable, since you could eat it raw, you can now eat it if a non-Jew uh, cooks it for you as well. So that's one 
a version of what Abishalakum doesn't apply to. The other tradition of what Abishalakum doesn't apply to is anything not fit for a king's uh, table. Anything a king wouldn't eat, anything they wouldn't serve on a king's uh, table has no problem of Abishalakum if a non-Jew uh, uh, cooks it uh, uh, for you. So once again, now the Talmud asks, what's the a difference between these two uh, traditions? Ask the Gemara, Mai Be Naihu. What's the a difference between these two re reasons? Now, who cares? I mean, these two traditions. Uh, sorry, I'm going to share back and forth between two different screens. My, my, uh, uh, what's the uh, difference if the tradition is you can eat it raw or it's food that wouldn't go on a king's uh, table? What are the foods that, you know, would be affected uh, based on what the reason is? So, as answers the Gemara, Ika Benahu, the a difference between these two different traditions are Dagim Ketanim, small fish, Ardive Daisa, and crushed grain or uh, barley. These two, uh, let me, huh, hold on, let me go back to my chart so you can see this in more a visual way. Okay, so anything that can be eaten raw. <laughs> Small fish, oh, sorry, it's mushrooms and a pounded wheat or a barley. If so, um, these foods can be, um, cannot be eaten raw, so a bishal akum would apply. But apparently these are not be fed in a king's a table, um, so these things would be allowed, meaning if a non-Jew uh, cooked them, it would be okay. And this is uh, explained by Rashi. So in the next uh, source, Rashi explains, Okay, Rashi explains, Dagim Ketanim, Ardevi so small fish, mushrooms, and pounded wheat or a barley. Rashi explains, Ein Nechalim Chayim. These three foods, small fish, mushrooms, and pounded wheat and barley, are not eaten raw. But they wouldn't go on a king's uh, table. So, Lelishne Kama, so for the first addition, uh, the prohibition would apply because they're not eaten raw. But because they're not served on a king's uh, table, Sharu, uh, according to this tradition, they would be allowed. So um, there is a, a difference between these two traditions about whether the prohibition um, extends to foods we can not can be eaten raw or foods which would not be served on a king's uh, table. Now, the good news is uh, a toast says that you do not need both of these reasons to make food okay. If a non-Jew uh, cooks them, either one would suffice. So the Atosfos, who are again, the rabbis who come in the uh, generation after of Rashi, and uh, a few of them are the grandsons of Rashi. So explain here. So so again, a parish meaning. So these three foods, mushrooms, I mean, small fish, mushrooms, and a pounded or crushed up barley. Again, like Rashi says, these foods are not eaten raw. But they don't, they are not served on a king's uh, table. The Omer Rabbeinu Tam. So Rabbeinu Tam, Rabbeinu Yaakov ben Meir, he is a grandson of Rashi. He writes, Diminit, Hani. From the fact that it used these three uh, foods, small fish, mushrooms, and the pounded uh, grain, meaning foods which cannot be eaten raw, but can go on a king's uh, table. The lonakat vash, givina. And why didn't, it, and, and so says Rabbi Tom, why didn't it bring the like foods which can be eaten raw, but go on a king's uh, table, for example, honey? And uh, cheese, because these foods so these foods do go on a king's a table, and they are eaten raw. So we learn from here. What this shows was that the Babli wants to be 
convenient. It wanted to only bring examples of the latter uh, tradition, meaning things which wouldn't go on a king's a table, to show you that you don't need both. You can have either or. It could be either foods which wouldn't go on a king's uh, table. You can have those if the non-Jew uh, cooks them, or you can have food which, which, which are eaten raw and to be lenient. Either one of those two uh, additions would work. You don't need both additions uh, to be met. So even if you have food, as long as it, you know, if, if it's only food that, that is not e e eaten raw, but go on a king's a table, that is adequate. Um, so a two, you can also be lenient any other way. If it's food which can be eaten raw, but would go on a king's a table. pasak And therefore, Rabbeinu Tam Paskins, he said the halacha is kehani lishna. That the halacha is like a both. Either or. And if you have one of these, either it's a food which you can eat raw, or it's food which would not be served on a king's table, then would not apply. So you don't need both of these two uh, kind of additions uh, to be met. Either it's a food which you can eat raw, and if a non-Jew cooks it, a bishul akum would not apply, or it's a food which would not be served on a king's table. Even if you were not able to eat it raw, a bishul akum would not apply. And that is how Rabbi Yosef Cairo brings down the halacha. That's how he, um, in the Shulchan Arach, established the halacha as well. He says you need a both for a food to be a, a problem of abishal akum. And he writes, Tavarsh inu ne'achal k'mo shu'chai, v'gam ole al shulcha melachim, l'alath po'eta pa'o l'par aperet, sh'bishlu ovei kochavim. So if you have any food which you cannot eat raw, and it's a food which would be served on a king's uh, table, and a non-Jew uh, cooked it, as, and even if it's made in the pot of a Jew or in the house of a Jew, aser mishum bishule ovei kochavim. So you're not allowed to eat it. So it's only prohibited if it's both a food which cannot be eaten raw, and it's a food which cannot go on a king's, which is a food which would go on a king's table. But as long as you could eat it raw, there's no problem of a bishalakum. Or as long as it's a food that would not go on a king's uh, table, it's also not a problem of a bishalakum. Now, how do you define what's a food which would not be eaten raw? And of course, how do you define a food which would not go on a king's table. Now, the second one is a highly subjective qualification, which would definitely uh, depend on the time and a place. And um, I've heard that the Star uh, K calls the White House to see, you know, at least in the past, to see what is food that would go on, a, that they would uh, serve at a, a banquet. So many uh, post can say it's food that is, you know, would be served at a royal being acquit. Uh, now, um, I've, I've heard the name of the uh, Hazon Ish, that as long as a food is eaten by an important uh, person, it's like Ola al-Shulchan Melachim, even if he eats it alone or she eats it alone. Um, but as long as, meaning as long as it's not like a low-grade kind of uh, food. So, um, so I heard the name of Rav Salavechik that any kind of uh, canned food is not Ola al-Shulchan Melachim, and that might be the a reason that you know some kashrut organizations allow any a vegetable a canned uh, food like the triangle k for example even though it, you know no jew was you know there in the a process at all so ola shocha melachim is a definitely kind of a harder qualification to understand so we have a, a question in the chat so if a vegetables if vegetables can be eaten raw you cooked and you you can have a cooked vegetable by a non-jew so the answer would be yes now, there's more to it than just that. What about there's oil? What, you know, so there's more. We're going to get to that. I thought it would be this time. It'll be next uh, time. But let's just now get to, in the few minutes we have left, what does it mean? What's a food that can be eaten raw? So the Ritva, he's also a medieval uh, Risho, medieval rabbi, writes, uh, that means, It means that you could eat it raw, 
Even if it's a kind of a food that people only eat uh, cooked. So for example, I'm thinking zuakini maybe. Most people maybe uh, don't eat raw zuakini, although even people do. But let's, let's just say people only ate it uh, cooked. But since you could eat it raw, then Bishul Akum would not apply uh, to that. Um, now let's look in the Shulchan Arach where he lays out um, some more uh, kind of additions for what that means, a food that's not eaten raw. Um, so he writes, uh, the next source you have, it's right here, in the Shulchan Arach, Dagim Ketanim Shamachan Yisrael Obeid Kochabim, small uh, fish that a Jew or non-Jew uh, salts, Harehin Kemoshinit Bashlu, so that, uh, that is if it's being uh, cooked. So if a non-Jew then were to uh, cook it, that would be uh, fine. Because the fact that a Jew salted it, that was as if it was already partially uh, cooked. But large uh, fish, even if they're uh, salted, those are only eaten raw, in a, a pressing kind of a situation. That is not uh, considered a food eaten raw. So it has to be something that, that uh, people do and would eat raw, but not in like an ex extreme setting. So I'm thinking of a potato. I once heard a friend of mine that during the Holocaust, um, they ate raw potatoes. So that's not so that's something that's something that uh, otherwise people never eat raw. So that would not mean that it's a food e eaten raw because in the most extreme uh, situation, uh, uh, people ate it raw. It has to be uh, something that uh, people could eat raw in, you know, not uh, to kind of uh, heading. However, says Rama, but yesh, says the shachanarach, yesh matirin. However, some people do allow it. But then the Rama writes, here, the Ramah is Reb Moshe Israelis. He's from a Poland. He's the Ashkenazi. A gloss is on the Shulchan Aruch. Chen kol devar shenol chalchai al dey hadechak ubishlu oved kochavim dino kedagim gedolim. Any food which you only eat raw because you're really uh, pressed to, that is like large uh, fish, and uh, uh, Bishul Akum would apply uh, to it. And then he also writes. Uh, See, uh, an egg, even though a pregnant woman apparently would eat a raw egg, sounds crazy. So even though a pregnant woman might eat a raw egg, apparently at some point, people thought that was a good thing to do, that's also not can hit her to food eaten raw just because someone does it for uh, additional kinds of a reason. Um, and again, the Shukharach then brings another food which is only eaten raw in kind of emergency kind of uh, settings. Timarim, hamarim, kitzat, bitter dates. Sheina nechlem ela ayodei hadjachat. Again, they're only eaten raw because people are really oppressed to. In Bishlamubit Kochavim, Asrim, again, those are prohibited as well. So it has to be a food that even if people don't uh, generally eat raw, a people a could and would eat it raw, but not just because they're like, you know, a desperate and there's nothing else to eat. It has to be something which people would legitimately eat raw and not in an extreme kind of a situation. Um, and the Taz, the Tureza have a, a, a commentary on the Shulchan Aruch also says about eggs, hata'am, meaning da'achila ayadei ha'dechaki. People, even a pregnant woman apparently, only ate eggs, raw eggs, because they really had to. They were oppressed to. Then he says, but Now, what about, remember we said in this first Shulchan Aruch, that there were some people who allowed eating um, large uh, salted uh, fish cooked by a non-Jew. He says that only applied to that, spe uh, that specific case of the fish. Even those who allowed you to a Jew to eat a large uh, fish cooked by a non-Jew, modim kan hamarim. They would agree that you would that you cannot eat an egg cooked by a non-Jew, or the bitter uh, dates here. Why? 
שכאן אין נאכלם אלא על ידי דוחק הדור. Because these two, you really only eat if you're truly a desperate. Like, that's really an extreme reason you would eat it. So these things which you really only eat in the most kind of a dire, a desperate uh, situation, this shall akum would apply to it. But if it's just kind of minorly, you're eating because, you know, you're really hungry, but it's not like uh, desperate, then there are those who are lenient about that as well. Um, okay, so to sum up what we've done, let me just go back to my PowerPoint. It's a little over time, but we're five minutes late, so I think it's okay. We saw that uh, the food prepared by a non-Jew are one of the eight things which the rabbis prohibited. While we saw in the Talmud that was originally a try to be learned out from a biblical a verse, the Talmud then kind of clues that it was really a rabbinic prohibition. And the two uh, reasons for the prohibition given by Rashi are one, either it's a social policy, it's a theory will lead to intermarriage between Jews and non-Jews. So Having a food a barrier is a great way to keep people apart. Or the other uh, explanation uh, given by Rashi that it's a, a kosher reason. There is a fear that they will give you non-kosher food, either in the food that they cook for you, or if you eat their food and you're eating together, you might ultimately come to eat the other food of a non-Jew as well, even the non-kosher food. And then we saw that there's a, a difference. There are a difference between these two reasons Rashi uh, gives. First is, well, can you eat the food of a non-observant Jew? If the reason for a bishalakum is, is a fear to lead to marrying non-Jews, and that would not apply to food cooked by a non-observant Jew. We're allowed to marry each other. But if the reason is the fear that you'll come to eat non-kosher food, then that could apply if a non-observant Jew is the one preparing the food. Another reason, another difference between Rashi's two answers is, what's the status of the pot in which Bishal Akum was cooked. If the reason is that they may come to give you non-kosher food, or they may come to add non-kosher food, that could uh, traif up your pot and you'd have to uh, kosher it. And that's what the Rosh Habas says. But if the reason is, again, it's a fear to lead you to marry a non-Jew, well, that would not affect your uh, pot and you would not have to uh, kosher your pot. And says the Gra, that is the source for the Rush's uh, leniency, who says that a Bishal Akum would not affect the kashrut uh, status of your pot in which a non-Jew cooked even a kosher food. Then we examined the scope of the prohibition of a Bishal Akum. Either it does not apply to any food which can be eaten uh, raw, and we uh, saw that that means, you know, even if people don't uh, generally eat it raw, since you could eat it raw and not in the most like a dire extreme situation, then if a non-Jew uh, cooks the food, you are allowed to eat it. So a vegan restaurant, you can eat the uh, vegetables cooked by a non-Jew. Or if it's anything that would not be served at a king's uh, table. Now what that applies to, you know, it's very hard to say, a uh, canned food, some say, maybe potato uh, chips now, even though you can you can eat it raw, but it wouldn't go on a king's uh, table. But does it matter that maybe it would be served in the king's table, not in the uh, chip form, but in another form? So th uh, does it go by what it is right now or in its original uh, product? So that's much larger discussion, but um, maybe like a breakfast uh, cereal. That's the kind of food I think we can all say would not go at the a banquet of a king. So in a Kellogg's, you don't need to have a, a Jew there uh, turning on the ovens when, however it is they make any of the foods they make, because no one would serve corn uh, flakes at a banquet or, you know, any of the uh, breakfast uh, foods that are made. So those are the kind of things that Bishal Akum would not apply to. Now, you know, we don't necessarily feel the applications of many of these halacho right now that we just uh, learned, but these are what guide a kashrut, the larger kashrut organizations in what uh, foods are given a hashagacha for and not. And, you know, when when a place will get, you know, a hashagacha, it's not always that there's a, a Jew there. It could be because we are uh, following these um, uh, principles here that we learn right now. So next time we'll get to more. Um, we'll get to, you know, well, what about eating a, a vegetable that's mixed with 
other uh, foods that a non-Jew uh, cooks. And let's say it's a food that you could eat raw mixed with a food that you are not allowed, that you aren't able to eat raw. What do we uh, go by? Um, and does that affect the food that you uh, could eat raw? So we're gonna get to that and we'll get to the whole having a Jew uh, turn on the oven thing, all that um, next time. So uh, thank you all so much. Any questions? Uh, I'm not seeing any questions in the chat, but I'm sure we can cover any that comes up next week. Um, thank you to Dr. Strachik for a great start to the class. I am looking forward to next week for our next session. Um, thank you to everyone who joined us today on Zoom, on Drisha Live and on Facebook. We are going to continue our fall programming tonight at 8 p.m. with the first part of a three-part series by Rabbanit Layasarna called Kavod Hamat and Kavod Habriot, The Honor of the Dead. Tomorrow at 1 p.m., Dr. Hanan Gafni will begin teaching his multi-part class on the origins of academic Jewish studies. And then tomorrow at 8 p.m., Rabbi David Silber will begin his multi-part class on imagining King David in the Babylonian Talmud. If you have not yet registered, you can find the Zoom links on our website at www.drisha.org classes or watch live at www.drisha.org live. Thank you again to Dr. Strat Schick for the opportunity to learn with you and for everyone who attended. And I look forward to next week. Hi, everyone.